Okay. We're recording. Want to go ahead and read the thing? I do want to go ahead and read the thing. There is a dingy room in a boarding house on Kearney Street. Inside, there is a bare bulb, a cot, a wash basin, and an old man sitting in a chair. He stares at the mirror, his face unmoving. In a moment, he will stand, button up his uniform, don a hat adorned with an ostrich feather, buckle on his ceremonial saber, and step out onto the streets of San Francisco. As he walks the streets, he will inspect them carefully. Police officers will salute him as he passes. He may stop into a business and remind them of a tax due to him, usually a small amount of 50 cents or so. He may stop at a local eatery and be seated immediately to be offered anything off of the menu with the compliments of the chef. He may attend the premiere of a new opera or play with the best seats in the theater at standing reservation for him. Or he may simply walk the streets, greeting citizens, offering counsel or comfort when asked, bending on a knee to share a smile or joke with a child. He may speak passionately with the citizens of San Francisco on the subjects of fair treatment for minorities, for women's rights to vote, for the destruction of fraud and corruption, and for religious plurality. He was a madman. He was a saint. He was a poet. He was a cipher. He was a man who had suffered loss. He was a lens through which others viewed the world. On this episode of Relative Disasters, we're going to examine the life of Norton I, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my sister and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events in their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Greg, chair of the Norton Dynastic Studies Department here at Relative Disasters University. And I'm his sister Ella, chief civil engineer for the San Francisco branch of Relative Disasters Incorporated. So today we're going to be taking a look at Norton I, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico. Uh, And first, before we get started, uh, on a personal note, this is great, because this is is the first time in Relative Disasters history that my sister and I have actually been able to sit in the same room recording together. That is correct. So that's really fun. We're in Greg's basement in person. (laughs) He does not look the way I remembered him. I do not look the way he remembered me. It's been it's been years, years, we're, uh, centuries even. <laughs> we're both vaccinated. <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, so listen, I have to ask you: uh, <laughs> How does Norton qualify as a disaster? All right, because so, when I look at his life, I don't see a disaster. I see like a very specific person. Right, right. I do as well. I see I see somebody that would not be out of place within our family, for example. Uh, well, tell stories about Uncle I Josh. Yeah, don't think we're this cool, to be honest. <laughs> it's true. We it's have true. no ostrich feathers in our hats. We do not. So Emperor Norton, I view him as as sort of a an anti disaster. This is a guy that had uh, something, you know, relatively bad happen to him, and out of that misfortune comes this figure of Norton the first. Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico. Maybe the disaster is that he did not have more power than he actually did. Because I feel like he would have been a pretty decent president well, slash emperor. He he was he would have been an interesting person to actually give real power to. But I think that the 
I think that the, the best, well, we'll get into that. Okay. So Emperor Norton I started out uh, his life as Joshua Abraham Norton. That doesn't roll off the tongue. It does not. So Joshua Norton was born sometime in 1818. It's actually really hard to track down his birthday. He was born in England. We know that his parents were John and Sarah Norton. And then when he was about two years old, his family relocated from London to South Africa. As you do. As you do. When you're bored with London, move to South Africa, (laughs) as the saying goes. (laughs) Such a good climate. And so he grew up in South Africa. His whole family basically had a whole lot of tragedy. He had a bunch of brothers and sisters, all of whom died very young. And his mom died very young as well. Uh, So his father basically died. He went from being a merchant, a fairly successful merchant, to being dead broke, bankrupt. After which, Norton moved from South Africa to Boston. As you do. In 1846, he arrived in Boston, and then he made his way across the country to San Francisco in late 1849. This dude traveled. He did. Especially for a broke person. He I saw like the those world. Are trips that you cannot make as and a broke person very comfortably. No, think. not at all. But he he even though his father was insolvent, he actually Joshua Norton actually did really really well for himself. He formed a company called Joshua Norton and Company. Very creative. Very creative, which mainly concerned itself with imports, imports and exports business, and uh, some real estate. I mean, that makes sense, right? This dude, his whole life has been importing and exporting himself. Yeah, over that makes sense. Again. It makes sense. It's presumably, he had luggage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He knew how to ship. Every things. time he moved, he just brought a bunch <laughs> of stuff with him. That's all it was. And so in around 1850... He was actually among the like the higher class of, of San Francisco. He was up there with the elites. And then 1852 happens, and this is the disaster. Uh, Joshua Norton attempted to corner the rice market in San Francisco. Oh, you don't want to do that. Now, he had a shot at this. He had a genuine shot at this. There was a famine in China at the time, which caused a shortage of rice. And so Joshua basically was given a a shot at cornering the entire market on Peruvian rice. And then two things went wrong. One, he signed a contract purchasing the rice at 12 and a half cents a pound, Mm -hmm. whereas the rice coming in from China was at almost 36 cents a pound. So we're talking a huge difference of money. But he kind of got taken for a ride by the guy that he bought the rice from. The Peruvians? The uh, Peruvian rice seller. Because instead of being able to turn around and sell his 12 and a half cents a pound rice at, you know, 36 cents a pound, more rice started coming in from Peru. Same salesman, probably. Uh, and this rice was all of, like, better quality. Mm. All of a sudden, price of rice goes all the way down to three cents a pound. <laughs> oh, damn. And Joshua lost everything. Joshua. He tried to void his contract on the grounds that he had been you know, misled by Peruvian rice merchants, (laughs) which happens. All right. You cannot trust those. No, no. Unscrupulous Peruvian rice merchants. Even I know that. So he tried to void his contract. It gets tied up in the courts for two or three years. Mm -hmm. 
you know, all of which is costing him a lot of money to have it in the courts. And then in 1855, the courts say, nope, and rule against him. And he is completely ruined financially. He files for insolvency oh, in 1856. And about two years later, uh, he was living in a boarding house, which, you know, is not the style in which he had been accustomed to. Man, rice that can kill you. Yeah. What comes next, though, <laughs> is is the gift to the world. Because in September of 1859, he published a proclamation in the San Francisco Evening Bulletin newspaper that states, quote, At the preemptory request of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States and in virtue of the authority vested in me, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in the musical hall of this city and make such alterations in the existing laws of the Union as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring. Hmm. End quote. I'm just quoting a, a, a choice portion of that, by the way. The proclamation is awesome. I can get behind all of those things. And it was signed Norton I, Emperor of the United States. Uh, he would later add the title of Protector of Mexico uh, in 1863 in response to Napoleon III's invasion of Mexico. Yep. So here we are. Wait, I have a question for you. <laughs> I have several questions. Between the rice crash yeah. and the proclamation, is there some event? Does he hit his head? Does he nope. suffer some mysterious so accident? A lot of a lot of scholars who look into the life of Norton the First mm-hmm. basically like the best theory that anybody has is that losing all of his money and seeing how his father had gone insolvent and bankrupt probably spiraled him into some form of depression with, you know, some form of probably something else undiagnosed at the time. I, the thing about him is I would not classify, this is going to sound weird for a dude declaring himself emperor of the United States, but I honestly, I don't really classify him as narcissistic because most of the stuff he does during his reign are like altruistic things, pretty altruistic. Yeah. And we'll get into that. Okay. So at this point, we're at 1859, he has declared himself Norton the first and now this is when we need to take a, a scholarly approach to this because there is an unfortunate book by a writer named David Warren Ryder who wrote this book called San Francisco's Emperor Norton, which was published in 1939, uh, you know, over half a century after he had died. Mm-hmm. The book is, it has given rise to a lot of the legends of Emperor Norton. So what we're going to do is we're going to separate some of the the facts from fiction here uh, because he did do a lot of really, really cool stuff. But some of the stuff that gets attributed to him has either been overly romanticized or blown out of proportion or in some cases made up out of whole cloth. I mean, he does not look like he would mind a few tall tales. He seems pretty chill. Uh, The first thing. The first thing about it is the proclamations that he that are claimed to have been issued. He did issue proclamations. He issued very specifically a proclamation to dissolve the United States Congress uh, on the grounds that it was incapable of functioning as a governing body. 
Oh. Oh, yes. Moment of silence for that one. <laughs> right? So basically, in that proclamation, he stated that where if, if Congress can't be bothered to do their job, then go home, stop receiving your paychecks from the American people. I've got this. Start selling <laughs> rice, why don't you? I mean, yeah, there's money in them there, rice. So uh, the other... Procl- a number of proclamations, however, uh, were falsified and, and sent to newspapers... Think of them as like political cartoons almost of the day. You know, somebody would happen that something somebody wouldn't write and they'd write an Emperor Norton proclamation to the paper. Oh, boy. The trick. I'm not going to lie, that does sound pretty fun. It does sound. It's like a letter to the editor with like weight behind it. You know, you and I would totally do those. I would absolutely do. My plan, if I ever if I ever lose everything and and life loses all meaning and I don't want to do anything else, I will declare myself Norton the third. I'm doing it. You're going to stay away from the Peruvian rice market. I will I stay away from the Peruvian okay. rice market. So some of his proclamations were absolutely great. He had no fear when it came to calling out corruption and fraud in any form. He would call out state senators. He would call out local, like, planning board people. It was great. (laughs) That is my favorite kind of person. I am so terrified of telling people they're wrong that when people like that do it, I just... So he made pronouncements that demanded that... African-Americans be allowed to ride in public streetcars and be admitted to public schools. Yes. Keep in mind, 18, you know, 50s and 60s. He issued a proclamation commanding the courts to allow Chinese people to testify in court. Remember that at this time, we are under the uh, the laws that stated that Chinese Americans are not Americans and have no, no legal standing in the United States. Norton thought that was horse manure and did what he could here. He's not wrong. The pronouncement actually states, quote, The eyes of the emperor will be upon anyone who shall counsel any outrage or wrong on the Chinese, nice. end quote. You don't want the eyes of the emperor on you. No. As we'll see later in another unfortunate myth, but also awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he really did. He put his money where his mouth was. He put his mouth where his money was, too. Put his eyeballs where they yes. should be? Yes. Okay. Uh, he also proclaimed that Indian agents, meaning Native Americans should have a assembly to publicly punish the parties uh, that had committed fraud against them. Nice. Now, keeping in mind, <laughs> that means the United States government, and well, he had no fear about that one. He's already got rid of Congress. It's true. He's, he's way up there. <laughs> he also was a religious pluralist, nice. um, favoring church and state separation, and he was very, very clear. He wrote, at least one proclamation that was very clear about the danger of sectarianism in the United States mm. and how uh, religion should be used to bring people together, not rip them into smaller groups. He did not attend any one church or synagogue, but would attend them all on different cycles. In rotation. In rotation, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, because he, he didn't want to give his imprimatur nice. to anyone, you know. You know, I wish more emperors thought that way. Right? That's very sensible. And at the time, in California, there were the state Sunday laws, and that discriminated against uh, people of the Jewish faith and recent German immigrants, uh, because, it, it, you know, it basically stated that they couldn't freely practice their religion. And so he issued a pronouncement basically telling them to knock that off. Nice. Uh, He issued pronouncements supporting women's rights to vote. Oh, my favorite. He wanted fair taxes, and he had some great ideas about how to provide basic services. That's my other favorite. To the people of San Francisco. Exactly. How did he know? 
there were also a number of proclamations that are attributed to him, but were never, ever, ever something that he actually did. The most famous of which is the so-called Frisco Proclamation. And this is going to bother all of our listeners in San Francisco. Uh, but the problem with this one is that there is no provenance for this proclamation. The authenticity of this proclamation is basically that book by David Warren Ryder, where he kind of made stuff up. But anyway, it's a great little story. Uh, it's a proclamation that states that anyone who uses the word Frisco uh, shall be deemed guilty of a high misdemeanor and have to pay a penalty of $25. So I have a thought here. <laughs> Um, aside from that, this is totally sensible. You know, in San Francisco, people don't call it San Fran or Frisco. You're supposed they to call, call it, it the, the city. city. Yes, yeah, I yeah. did know that. Yes. So it's just the city. Maybe some of that stuck around. I guess. So the problem with this proclamation is that it is completely unsourced. And oh. it seems like that the, uh, the only source for it is Ryder's book. Now, one of his most famous proclamations, however, can be sourced. He commanded that there should be a survey and construction of a bridge linking Oakland and San Francisco. Yeah. Now, we have that bridge, yes, and there is actually a very strong movement to get that bridge, the San Francisco Bay Bridge, renamed the Emperor Norton Bridge. Now, I would protest this only on the basis of this has to be one of the ugliest bridges in the world, and it is constantly bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. I feel True. like Emperor Norton deserves better. He deserves a better bridge. Yeah. It is the best way to get from Frisco to Oakland. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> so, Emperor Norton's proposed Bay Bridge, you can see the proclamation and the drawn-up proposals of it on Wikimedia Commons. You can find his proposal for the Bay Bridge, and it winds up looking an awful lot like what the uh, the San Francisco Bridge. Now, since we're like. in person, uh, yeah. I'm looking at this as well, and I have to say, his vision for the bridge was it's a lot prettier. prettier than the one that was. There's a lot of filigree built. on there. There's some like there's some nice like Eiffel Towery kind of stuff yeah, going on. The suspension is very. The suspension airy. is very airy. Yerba Buena Island looks. Uh... <laughs> No, sturdy. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like it's sinking into mud. <laughs> Love it. It's just a nice little thing. Yeah. I mean, he was right. There did thing. need to be a bridge there. Yes. And and look at that. There is. So the next, uh, this is one that I, I wish was true. And unfortunately, again, the only sourcing for it is this David Warren Ryder book. But uh, at the time in San Francisco, as in many places in California, there was a very strong anti-Chinese immigrant sentiment uh, to the degree where there were societies that were literally formed just to combat the, quote, yellow scourge. Oh, gross. Oh, it's super gross. And these were usually religious groups uh, led by church leaders. Um, oh, come on. What would Jesus do there? Right? Come on. As the story goes, and I love this story, uh, basically a mob was descending on San Francisco's nascent Chinatown, and Emperor Norton placed himself between Chinatown and the mob, and without saying anything else, simply sank to his knees and began reciting the Lord's Prayer, and the mob, thus shamed, dispersed and went home. That is an awesome story, and I really, really wish that it were true. However... The sourcing on it doesn't exist. 
what he actually did is in some ways more awesome. So basically, one of these groups was called the Working Men's Party of California. It was co-founded by a guy named Dennis Kearney, who was, uh, let me put it to you this way. He would end his speeches by just saying the Chinese must go. I mean, he was a catchphrase? Yeah, really pretty much. sucks. He was basically, yeah, he, he was there to incite racism, to incite hatred, and literally to incite violence. Like, there are a number of a number of occasions where he directly called on the people of his group to go mess up some people in Chinatown. What a dick. What the emperor did instead was go to the meeting with this guy. So this guy's up on his soapbox, you know, yelling and screaming, and to his face challenged him in front of all of his supporters. Now keep in mind... Does he have the ostrich feather hat on? Emperor Norton is not, a first of all, a young man. And he confronted a dude whipping up a racist mob to his face in front of said mob. Like, no, no, they could have beaten him to death right there and that would have been the end of it. <laughs> a lot of balls. It takes, it takes actual genuine courage. So the Daily Alta Californian newspaper published a report of the incident in 1878. In it, he said... The group met, started shouting about how awful the Chinese were and send them back home and all that stuff. And the emperor stood up and lambasted them for their and can I just say, being idiots. Yeah, racist mobs deserve lambasting. Absolutely. Like, it's not safe to do that. It's not safe to Emperor do that. Norton, but yeah. I, I feel very satisfied that they... He stood up. He stood up they and... They were lambasted. Yeah, Exactly. And they basically kind of laughed him out of there. No no harm done to anybody, but they did not go out and commit violence that he night. He broke the spell. He, he That's what he did. broke the spell a little bit. And then he issued a proclamation. Oh, this Quote, is where it gets good, folks. So, <clears throat> uh, these, these sort of meetings of mobs were called Sandlot meetings. And Norton I issued a proclamation, quote... Whereas the Sunday afternoon Sandlot meetings are a disgrace to this Queen City of the Pacific, they are hereby prohibited under penalty of banishment of the leaders, etc. End quote. So that's fantastic. I mean, <laughs> doesn't get much scarier than your own proclamation right? from Emperor Norton in the paper. It's, it's, it's great. So cool. that's, yeah, that's one of my favorites. And the other, the other big unfortunate myth that we have to puncture... Uh, because Aww. we are dedicated to the truth, no matter how sad it is. Yay. So there were two dogs, uh, street dogs, in San Francisco at the time named Bummer and Lazarus. Both of those names suggest <laughs> a rough life. Yes, these are street dogs. They're not, they're not, you know, they have no home to go to. So Bummer is a term from which we get the modern term of bum. It was the equivalent of it back in those days. It meant somebody who was homeless and, and you know, a lazy, layabout, shiftless. Uh, the difference between a bum and a hobo is that the hobo is going to get work and the bum is too lazy to get work. That's wow, the that's that is the, really gross. That's the etymology. Thanks. So bummer, uh, the bum dog, and Lazarus, a a myth sprung up about those being Emperor Norton's dogs, and it probably comes from them not only being around at the same time and being semi-famous homeless dogs and a very famous down-on-his-luck emperor, 
but they sort of were conflated in the common interests of the people of San Francisco. However, they were not Emperor Norton's dogs. They were simply dogs that, you know, people would see on the street every now and again. Bummer. I know. Now we're going to get into awesome things that Emperor Norton did uh, that actually happened. So we talked a little bit about the San Francisco Bay Bridge. Another great true fact about him was he did actually issue his own money. Nice. It came in denominations of 50 cents, a dollar, and five dollars. And that money was accepted pretty much everywhere in San Francisco. I don't think it can be stated how much the people of San Francisco embraced this guy. This was not your, you know, crazy homeless guy shouting on the street corner. This was like literally people would would go out and and if he's inspecting a street and he's like oh you know the bit of this street isn't quite up to code the civil engineers of san francisco were like oh no we should definitely probably repair that now so i have to say i've lived in a couple cities across the u.s and in san francisco you were definitely like invited and celebrated to be as weird as possible like for most of us that's not very weird so i used to live outside of portland and Portland is another I one of those like that's cities. The same vibe. Yeah, it, it, I feel like he would have done okay up there. Portland's got a darker vibe to it, though. Like, there's some other stuff about Portland that is just kind of like, yeek. I'm thinking about the Nazis. I'm thinking about the Nazis. <laughs> but Norton wouldn't have allowed that. No. Anyway, so yeah, he he had he had his own money that was accepted pretty much in in nearly every business in San Francisco. Do we know what the money was called? Was it Norton? They were dollars. No, they weren't Norton dollars. They were just they're banknotes. They're not like dollar bills. They're banknotes. Very fetching portrait of Emperor Norton on the left. Yep, and the the seal of the United States and Eureka on the right. That's an interesting choice, right? Yeah, it's pretty great. And he signs them. He signs them. They are banknotes that gain of a five percent per annum interest rate. <laughs> Which which is redeemable in the year 1880. And the thing about the money is 1880 is the year that Emperor Norton died. He died on January 8th. So nobody could have actually turned them in and asked for, for you know them with the interest. Not that they would have, but it's a fun little historical note. Do we know for sure that he died? <laughs> I, he lives on in all of us. So then there's this other story, which I love. In 1867... Emperor Norton was arrested no. for vagrancy. No, who's going to do that? So there was a a man named Armand Barbier, who was a quote-unquote special officer, which is an auxiliary police force that were basically glorified security guards. I think that's the best way to put it. And he arrested Norton for vagrancy. And then when he couldn't make those charges stick, because he wasn't a vagrant, he had a home. Right. He had he had his 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 Dude, room. He had his own bank. He charged him with lunacy. Oh. At which point, and this is wonderful, the people and especially the newspapers of San Francisco <laughs> got involved. The bulletin issued this statement in an editorial. Quote. In what can only be described as the most dastardly of errors, <laughs> Joshua A. Norton was arrested today. He is being held on the ludicrous charge of lunacy. Known and loved by all true San Franciscans as Emperor Norton, this kindly monarch of Montgomery Street is less a lunatic than those who have engineered these trumped-up charges. As they will learn, his majesty's loyal subjects are fully apprised of this outrage. End quote. And then Uh-oh. this quote right here from the Daily Alta newspaper, is my favorite 
quote of Emperor Norton. Okay. Quote, Since he has worn the imperial purple, he has shed no blood, robbed nobody, and despoiled the country of no one, which is more than can be said for any of his fellows in that line. End quote. I feel like that's an excellent point. Right? As what a great emperor. Go, <laughs> like, seriously. He really caused very little damage compared to the other ones. So the chief of police personally issued an apology to Norton and immediately released him. And the emperor, being gracious as always, <laughs> issued an imperial pardon for Armand Barbier. <laughs> and thereafter... The police officers of San Francisco were directed to salute the emperor when he passed them on the street. Uh, yeah, they were. Awesome! <laughs> <laughs> it's really the best possible outcome. It's so great. It's so great. <laughs> the thing about Norton is that, um, have you ever heard the phrase king or queen for a day? Yeah, of yeah. course. So that may have genuinely originated with Emperor Norton. He would go out into the streets and if he found a child that had done something nice or just looked, you know, a little down and could use a pick-me-up, mm -hmm. he would issue them a royal patent of nobility <laughs> to make them queen or king for a day. Nice. It was great. He, he seems... This is the thing. Like, whenever we talk about people that are in this sort of, like, level of kind of crazy or maybe a performance artist or mm -hmm. maybe just, like... Different. Yeah. Kindness. Extremely different. Yeah. His level of kindness really shines through in the sort of stuff that he did in San Francisco. I don't know. He just seems like a nice dude. He certainly had a lot of friends. He certainly did. The The city of San Francisco uh, rallied to him. And one of those friends was a very young Mark Twain. Mark Twain's going to come up in some upcoming episodes. Yeah. If you don't know who he is, beloved <laughs> listeners, he's a little known American humor. <laughs> We won't get into the lifetimes because he's not a disaster. He was actually very successful. Yes. But, uh, he's excellent. All you need to know for this is that he is a famous. He's a, he's, he was writer. a very famous writer and he was writing for the newspapers at the time when Norton the first was, uh, was he in San Francisco? Inspecting the, yeah, he was. Oh man. Did they hang out? <laughs> I don't think so, but, uh, the character of the King from a uh, Huckleberry Finn, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, is modeled after Emperor Norton. That's so interesting. Yeah. All right. So on January 8th, 1880, as we already stated, the emperor headed out to attend the regular monthly debate of the Hastings Society at the Academy of the Natural Sciences. Uh, and when he reached the southeast corner of California and DuPont, which is now Grant Avenue, just, uh, just across the street from the Academy of Natural Sciences, the emperor collapsed and died. It is a beautiful neighborhood. If you're going to have to collapse and die, that's yep. where I would want to do it. The newspapers printed some very nice obituaries. And we get into a little bit more of the myth-making here. Sure. Um, the emperor actually was allowed to lie in state. He was redressed in his uniform. And a huge number of as many as 10,000 people. Oh my gosh. Came to view his body in state. Now, there, there, part of the myth-making was that there was a two-mile-long cortege that accompanied the emperor to his final resting place. Uh, however, uh, the only thing that's accurate about that is that it's about two miles from where he was lying in state to where he was buried initially. But the cortege 
uh, as reported by the newspapers at the time, was only about two or three carriages and only about 30 or so mourners at the actual burial. Hmm. I really prefer the two mile. Right? It's a good picture. And then San Francisco in 1934 evicted their cemeteries. There, there No more cemeteries. What? Yeah. No more cemeteries were allowed within city uh, city limits. So I've Emperor Norton's... Never heard of this. Yeah. Uh, Emperor Norton's remains were removed from the city's Masonic Cemetery to the Woodlawn Cemetery in Colma, California, which is just a few miles south. Uh, the reburial ceremony included full civic and military honors. Oh, boy. Yes. Wow. Uh, and the placement of a new headstone on which reads, Here lies Norton I, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico. That's um, going to really confuse some archaeologists. In it's fantastic. I don't years. care. I don't care. It's <laughs> worth it. It's worth it. This uh, ceremony was attended by about 200 people or so. Mm -hmm. So in modern culture, Emperor Norton has become this uh, amazing figure. He's, he's first of all, uh, he was made a saint uh, by the Discordians. So he is, he is a second level saint according to the Principia Discordia. Okay. Uh, he's been featured in a ton of, or characters based on him, have been featured in a ton of books and movies, and there is an opera about him. I, his life is very operatic. I hope the rice gets its own aria. <laughs> Don't you think? Yes, uh, it should. Or the rice, maybe they put like an evil, like, scheming mustache on it. <laughs> and one of my favorite stories about him is actually in uh, the Sandman comic book series written by Neil Gaiman, uh, where he is a major character in in one story, and it's an, it's just an absolutely beautiful story. Hi, highest recommendations. My last my last sort of side note here has to do with a man named Jose Saria. So Jose Saria uh, was an American political activist from San Francisco and was the first openly gay candidate for public office in the United States when he ran for... Before Harvey Milk? Yep. No kidding. Uh, he ran for the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 1961. He only ran to kind of embarrass people and make people understand that, you know, we are here and we exist and, you know, deal with your own stuff. Uh, but he almost actually won by default. Uh, <laughs> That's the problem with um, running as a stunt. This is why I have never run. For right. Office as a stunt. Yeah. It's dangerous. You could win. So he did not, he did not win. Mm. Um, but it, but his surprisingly good showing was enough to um, set in motion that gay people vote and could actually have a voice in city politics. Shocker. So, it was it was pretty great. Jose Saria founded the Society for Individual Rights in 1963, and he had a wonderful career uh, performing in drag to great acclaim in San Francisco. And he took on the title of Absolute Empress One de San Francisco, the Widow Norton. Nice. And when Jose Saria passed away. He is buried at the foot of Emperor Norton's grave in the Woodlawn Cemetery in Colma, California. And on his tombstone, it states, Here lies Her Royal Majesty, Empress of San Francisco, Jose I, the Widow Norton. That's gorgeous. 
gorgeous. So that's pretty fun. I feel like Emperor Norton would have approved. Emperor that. Norton would have. Uh, they're high fiving. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> so Joshua Norton is one of those odd American figures that you wouldn't really know anything about if the people of San Francisco hadn't embraced him in the way that they did. Mm. And I think the lesson that I take from this more than anything else is love your weirdos because as long as they're espousing, like you're always going to get the guys who get up on soapboxes and start screaming how we're all going, you know, to burn in the fires. And that's fun. But if you've got a guy who's like, nah, I'm the emperor of the United States and this little kid gets to be king for a day because he's having a rough morning and, and by the way, let's, you know, make the government into something that is functional and let's make sure that people have food on their table and streets that are safe to walk on. Here's $10. Here's 10 bucks. From my bank. Yep. I, I'm, I'm with this guy, you know? He's, he's legitimately one of my favorite figures of American history. That's awesome. I'm sorry about the rice. I'm sorry yeah. he didn't get to become a billionaire, but I don't think his life would have been that much better. I think I think he I, I think that it, we are all better off for mm. him not becoming a billionaire. I would say this though, you may have noticed that our timeline runs basically from 1859 to 1880. During the early years of his reign, Emperor Norton had to watch the Civil War break out, the American Civil War. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And he as, uh, as we stated before, he always wore a uniform, which was a military uniform. And he would actually switch between Union and Confederate uniforms because, in his view, they were all Americans. Oh, it's and like once, the churches. once this nonsense blew over, they would be Americans together again, was sort of his view of things. And so let's, let's work harder to not disappoint our, our beloved emperor, guys. Let's, let's do better. Whenever his uniform and hat uh, would wear out, the board of uh the board of supervisors of san francisco would buy him new ones yeah you can't have him looking shabby it's pretty he's great he's the emperor come on so all right yeah. so that's the story of norton the first emperor of the united states and protector of mexico a potential disaster that went horribly right exactly i love it <laughs> that was excellent all right although we gave you some slightly exaggerated <laughs> credentials at the top of the show uh like our beloved emperor norton we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read anything more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly, why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? Next week, we're going to get into the sinking of the Andrea Doria. Oh, a no. Italian luxury liner that yep. went down in a horrible and very avoidable... <laughs> accident and continues to kill people to this day doesn't that sound intriguing yes how can a shipwreck from ages past continue to kill people find oh, out next you'd be surprised <laughs> well that sounds like an amazing disaster and i can't wait to talk about it with you <laughs>